Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on Twip, Apple updates its raw support, Nicole Young joins us as a special co-host, and an interview with Iberian X Perillo of the Candid Frame podcast. All that and much more coming up next on episode number 93 of This Week in Photography. And welcome back to another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. Uh, today on the show, we've got Mr. Ron Brinkman back after a little hiatus. He was not on the show last week. Hi, Ron. It wasn't really an intentional hiatus, but somehow I missed all the fun of the video show last week. You're at the wrong bus stop. Come on. <laughs> I was there. I was at my desk in time, but... Oh, Some, you, see, you uh, missed you missed the the kickoff video show. I was all dressed up and nowhere to go. There was a blank screen with your name on it and no yeah, no know. curmudgeon in there. I thought it was cool. I watched some of it as as a pure consumer, and, and it was pretty amusing. Cool. Uh, and I and I think we need to get uh, Aaron's cat coming into the scene on every one of these shows. <laughs> I can tell you fact, that's probably going to happen could, no matter what. Could you go find a cat and squeeze it just so we can get the audio version of it sometime during this show? It could be arranged. And that other voice that you hear is, of course, uh, the cat man himself, Mr. Aaron Mailer here. Hey there. Yeah, I'm sorry we're not on video this week, but WWDC's got the studio tied up, so we'll be back on it next week. Yeah, excellent. And then uh, our special guest co-host is a favorite of This Week in Photography, Miss Nicole Young. Hey, Nicole. Hello. How is life? You know, your rumor has it you're traveling all over the place right now. Where in the world is Nicole? Nicole moved to Utah. Utah. Wow. Yeah, the Salt Lake area. Very cool. Are you like taking pictures out there? Are you hanging yeah, out? Was, yeah, moved out here. Lots of friends, photographers, and it's a good photography community out here. So, very cool. You're gonna be doing photo walks and stuff out there. Oh yeah, already. I've already got a photo walk I'm leading for the worldwide photo walk coming up in July. Oh, excellent! On the 18th, right? Yep. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. That means you're not coming to my photo walk. No, I know I'm gonna miss it. Oh well, just, just for those who don't know, that is where I met Nicole. Um, right, Nicole. That's where we met. Initially. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's where we met for the first time mm-hmm. at uh, at the San Jose Scott Kelby Worldwide Photo Walk last year. And now she's all grown up and leading her own <laughs> photo walk. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I wish I wish we since, could be since, walking. Uh, I was going to say, since Steve's not here, can I call you Nicole the whole time? <laughs> yes, you can do that. It'll <laughs> make me feel more at home that way. <laughs> and it increases your Twitter following too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, this week's show is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog for a free trial. And 10% off of a new account, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP and punch in the offer code TWIP. And on to the news. All the news today. So just just a little uh, for what's, – what's it called when you like – when you talk about something before it actually happened, we were foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say for something else, but the uh, the show <laughs> before the show, we were uh, watching the live blogging of all the new iPhone news and all that good stuff, and from WWE. before the show we were doing that, right? Before the show, yeah. So pre-show, 
pre-show. We're not uh-huh. doing that now. But uh, uh-huh. it's. I think we're going to do it a little bit because the first thing that our our uh, our amazing producer has put in the news is about Apple. So how can we not talk about Apple stuff when we're going to talk about them releasing their raw compatibility? Along with all the other cool stuff that they release, so it's kind of hard to stay away from that. So, uh, Aaron, what's the what's the deal with this uh, with the compatibility update? Is it just more cameras or or more? It, it it's just another standard raw update. I mean, and, and not a big story in itself, but we like to mention them when they come out. Um, Apple did another raw update, and the way Apple handles it in OS ten, most of the raw capability of like uh, of iPhoto and Aperture and so on is is partly built on the underlying operating system libraries that handle raw. So the the updates aren't specifically to iPhoto or to Aperture; they're there to the overall raw capability of the operating system that those two draw upon. So whenever they do that, you kind of see improvements in raw handling in all the applications that Apple puts out. Uh, so in this particular case, uh, the 2.6 update adds the Canon Digital Rebel T1i, uh, which is the 500D in Europe, uh, the Nikon D5000, which I'm sure that'll mean a lot to a lot of people, um, the Olympus E30 digital SLRs, uh, but apparently the complaint is there's still, I guess it's the LX3, there's still no RAW yeah, for the, uh, yeah. I've given the LX3. Up. I've given yep. up on it. And it's really pretty annoying. I mean, you know, yeah, I, part of the reason why I bought the LX3 was because it had RAW support. And uh, I cannot believe, and I don't know whose fault it is. It's Apple. So I don't think it's Apple's fault, to be honest with you. Because uh, wasn't there all kinds of issues about RAW and how it was handled when that camera first well, came yeah. out? I, I'm, I'm sure what the issue is, is this the, you know, the fact that, that Panasonic's decoder to JPEG, and I think what Adobe did, includes the sort of uh, lens undistortion. Yep. And, and right. I'm willing to bet that, you know, Apple... Uh, either either Panasonic didn't provide the algorithms for doing it, or more likely Apple just doesn't uh, want to take the effort to integrate those algorithms. Cause there's probably a speed hit. You know, there's probably a performance hit on it. Yeah. And um, somewhere in there, I, I will bet that that's where the disconnect is: is that decoding that includes the uh, the D fisheye, the, the the conversion to more rectilinear thing. But whatever the case. It's pissing me off. Oh, there's two questions here. So, Ron, on the on the LX3, what? I I still don't have one of those. I still am plugging along with my G9. But what's so magical about the LX3? Besides, I mean, I know it shoots raw, but I keep hearing that this is the the Jesus camera. What's so good about it? Uh, well, actually, I don't think it is. I mean, I you know the reason I bought it is the it's a very fast uh, camera in terms of low light sensitivity and the lens on it. So it's got an F2 lens on it, uh, which is which is you know quite a bit faster than what you have in your G9, I think. Yeah. Um, and and the the sensitivity, the light sensitivity is good, too. It's got a, a decent-sized sensor, and it's pretty good. So those two things together make it really nice for what I tend to use a point-and-shoot for, which is you know a lot of indoor snapshotty kind of stuff. And and the other part of it, too, is it's got a very wide lens. It's got a, I think it's a 24-millimeter equivalent. And it shoots video as well, right? And it does shoot full HD video, too. So, you know, on, on the other hand, the reason why I don't think it's the be-all and the end-all is... You know that that ultra wide capability comes at the extreme expense of any kind of zoom capability, mm-hmm. and um, it, I mean it's got a really really short zoom, and it's not at all uncommon for me to feel like I just can't get the shot because I can't you know zoom as much as I want to. So it's a trade off. Uh, it's a little bit bulky. It's not as bulky as the G9, but it's still not a complete shove it in your back pocket kind of thing unless yeah. you don't want to sit down because it 
is painful. But you know, it's a decent lens and and good quality. So images. have you have you been shooting in JPEG or uh, are you, or yeah. you been shooting in RAW with a workaround? And if so, what's that no, workaround? I just, I, no, I just shoot in JPEG. I mean, I, I poked around with doing workarounds, and it's just too convoluted. And you know, for the most part, it's. What I, what I tend to do is I, it has a shoot-in RAW plus JPEG mode. Mm-hmm. And so what I will tend to do, as long as I've got space on the card, is shoot in RAW plus JPEG. And I, just because I figure if there's ever a shot that's like, you know, oh, my God, this is the, the, you know, the keeper shot of the decade, and I want to make sure I have the best of the best on it, mm-hmm. then I'll know I have the RAW there to back it up. But usually what my workflow is, is, you know, when I'm done shooting, I'm like, okay, these are all good shots, but the JPEG's good enough, and I'll delete the raw files. But it's kind of that little extra insurance that if there really is a shot that I want to go back in someday and do ultra tweaking on, I know I have the, the raw there that I could get to if I wanted to go through the hassle. But you could not- you could just use uh, camera raw or Lightroom to convert it into DNG and then bring that into Aperture, right? Yeah, and that's one of the workarounds is to do that. And I just, you know, at this point, there's never been a shot that, that was... You know, worth tweaking. You know, I got the shot I needed with the JPEG, and so I wasn't really that concerned about it. Nicole, what are you using as a point and shoot, or or, or do you have one? I do. I have a Nikon. I think it's a P fifty one hundred. It's it doesn't shoot raw. I kind of want to upgrade it. Honestly, it's a good camera though. I can do a lot with it, and it's just my point and shoot camera. So, but I still find you know as a as a photo geek that I even though it's a point and shoot, I still want to do everything under the sun. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that point it can do like shoot at HD and raw and all that stuff. Nikon's latest point and shoot, uh, at least the one that they were, were was all the rage at MacWorld with the uh, with the new GPS stuff in the iPhoto um, supports GPS, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I haven't even seen that one, but um, it'd be kind of cool actually to have GPS. I've, it's not something I've ever used, you know, before, and I'm not. I, you know, I'm still on the fence about having. I want GPS in my SLR. But on in a point and shoot, I'm not. I guess when I'm traveling, it would make sense to have it in there because I'm doing travel yeah. shots. But then I'm probably <laughs> going to be shooting with my SLR. Yeah, you don't and, really want people to say, "Oh, that's where she lives," or "That's where he lives." Or. Right. When in the point and shoot, I notice most of the a lot of the shots I do, if it's not video, uh, are indoors with a point and shoot because it's like a party or somebody's birthday or something like that. And GPS not only is not that important, but you can't typically see the satellites through a room. So, Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Uh, I'm on the fence about that. I, I definitely want it in my SLR, but not necessarily in the point and shoot yet. Unless it's just in there. You know, I don't want to pay extra or I wouldn't. Like Alex held off for the perfect digital SLR because he needed this combination of features. It wouldn't be in my little constellation of features that I need that would hold me off from getting one. And, uh, uh, Aaron, what are you shooting with normally when you're just out and about? I'm actually using my DSLRs for everything. I, I don't even have a point-and-shoot at the moment, though I have been seriously considering trying to grab a used G9. Right. Uh, but the prices are actually rocketing up on the G9s, like on eBay, yeah. left and right. Okay. So I originally thought I wanted to grab a G9 just because everybody seemed to refer to the G10 and the, uh, the fact that it worked nicely with the uh, Gigapan, which I would – probably grab one of those if I got a G9, but now that they've bumped the Gigapan up to the Gigapan Epic and the options are wider, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, I just use my DSLRs for everything, though I, I really do feel like I should have a point and shoot with me just so I, you know, something fits in my pocket so I get those shots that, I, that I'm missing because I'm not always carrying my, you know, monster honking camera around with me. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, one last thing on the, the point and shoots, the G9 and the G10, of course, uh, support the Canon strobe. So the, mm-hmm. along with the STE2, the off-camera flash adapter. Mm-hmm. So it's Which got I have, a full-on yeah. hot shoe on there. So you can stick this thing in there and do all kinds of 
off-camera strobist type stuff, you know, with with up to I guess, I don't know how many camera or flashes it will control, but you can uh, do some really really amazing shots that people wonder did that really come from point and shoot so it's crap. the Nikons they have a little hot shoe and I've always wanted to try them with a pocket wizard because I have you know the pocket wizard set up with strobes and everything or flat speed lights and mm-hmm. I don't know if it would work but I'm going to try it one of these days <laughs> yeah why not it would be a good blog post at the very least yeah absolutely I used to use a, a 430EX strobe and the STE2 with a, with a Canon G5 you know some years oh. ago oh and how so, did that work out um, it worked great. That was no problem. My my first strobes that I bought were when I was still using, uh, you know, the PowerShot G series before I started buying DSLRs. Wow. So uh, I had no problem with it at all, to tell you the truth. In fact, it works really well on a macro flash bracket for being a, uh, you know, a very small, compact type of system with the, you know, where you can pivot your flash all around and do really great macro work. That's cool. That's cool. So. All right. Also in the news today, Olympus is celebrating 50 years of the pin series. Now, you know, Aaron, I haven't looked at this. What is, what is the PIN series, and why hey, do we you know, care that they've been doing it for 50 years? You're, you're kind of asking the wrong guy here, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, I, I do recognize that it is, it's, it's got a 50-year lineage with Olympus as a significant camera design, um, and they're celebrating their 50 years of that. They've apparently been releasing a series of videos kind of documenting the history of it, and we have another little related story in a few minutes, too, that kind of ties in with it. So I put that in here as much for that as anything else. Very cool. So I was kind of hoping Steve was on today because I'm sure Steve would have more insight into the pen series than, than I would. But Yeah. Well, one last thing in the news before we uh, jump into the next thing is uh, I know this isn't, this isn't like directly photography related, but uh, just to sort of talk about a little bit and hit on the fact that Apple is doing the WWDC thing today. And there's just some significant things that, are, that I've been told are happening later this afternoon and will be announced later this afternoon with regard to their support uh, in AppleScript and how it directly relates to photographers. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So by the time you hear this, uh, Twip listeners, make sure you head out to the Apple site and or head over to the AppleScript side of Apple site and uh, check out what they release. So it should be some interesting stuff. And then also uh, our sponsor, as we said at the top of the show, is Squarespace. We're brought to you by Squarespace. And they are actually hosting our blog, which is at twiplog.com. Now, Aaron, you're, you're kind of the, the guy that's at the helm of that blog. What do you, what do you think so far? <laughs> I, I'm the one to blame for the lack of updates of recent, I guess. Was I wasn't going to go there. I was going to let yeah, you go yeah, there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest about it. Yeah, no, actually, our experience with Squarespace has been fantastic. And uh, there, there are more things in the wings here that we're about to do with the blog. And uh, a lot of it is, is a credit to Squarespace's flexibility. So uh, been very, very, very happy there. And uh, lots more to come. You know what I learned uh, just last week? You know, we were we, uh, at my day job. We were sort of talking about the differences between different CMS or content management systems. Um, we were talking about Squarespace and WordPress.com. And uh, WordPress, as it turns out, at least the .com installation does not allow you to embed Flash videos. Interesting. I, I, <laughs> and if anyone in the audience is, has knows anything differently, please please send us a note. But yeah, and I tried it because we have a blog set up at uh, drobo.wordpress.com, and I went there to put a little stupid video up there just to you know see how it worked, and it would not let me. It just kept rejecting it. So, I've been able to do. I think okay. So Vimeo, I've, I think I've been able to put Vimeo on my WordPress blog before, and I is YouTube a Flash based? Yes. Now, do you, do you have a, a WordPress installation somewhere, or are you using WordPress.com? I just use. 
I just use it from the website. I don't do anything. So you know, okay. Yeah, okay. So then maybe I was doing something weird then. So I need to check that out. But yeah, we did some research, and at least in previous iterations of WordPress, at least the .com installation, which is different than the .org, which is right. you install on your own server. .com is the hosted solution. Um, they were forbidding or not allowing Flash embedding, but hopefully that's changed now. Nicole, now you're saying that you can do it, no problem. As far as I know, I've put you know videos on my blog before. So, and where's your blog? What's, what's your URL? Nicolezblog dot com. Okay. All right. Oh, that's where you have all those the stop motion or not the stop motion, mm-hmm. but the uh, the uh, what do you call it? The time lapse stuff. Time lapse. Right? Yeah. Cool. Very sweet. All right. Uh, it- Go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to ask Nicolzi whether that's actually hosted at WordPress.com or if that's just a WordPress installation at another host. Because that could be the answer. I'm really to that not much. <laughs> yeah, because as Fred uh, said, there is a definite difference. <laughs> yeah, I, I right. don't know that I might. I might be wrong. You know, I might. might just. I don't know. I all, just, all of my WordPress experiences is doing my own installations of it on my own server. So, and in that case, I don't think there would be any other issue that Fred's mentioning. Ron Brinkman, Ron, where is your blog hosted? I'm still on on WordPress. I've played around Squarespace, and and I'm I keep planning to switch over at some point. But it's just one of those things where I got to find a spare few hours to do it. Yeah. Well, you'll you'll be happy to know too, Ron, that you can export your WordPress content and import it into Squarespace because they have an importer exporter module. Yeah, no, I've seen that. So that's that's so definitely going to ease the transition. Smooth the way. Mm-hmm. Well, for a free trial on on Squarespace, head over to squarespace.com/twip. And enter the offer code TWIP. And if you decide to purchase it after your free trial, you'll get 10% off when you, uh, when you use our offer code. And then continuing in the news, Olympus, the digital pen leaked. So, Aaron, I'm going to let you take this one away <laughs> since you put, this, you put both of those Olympus things in here. And apparently yep. you, you love Olympus, so go for it. Well, I, I'm just following the current week's news. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that happened this week, um, and this kind of ties in, you know, again, with that 50 years, uh, Olympus was apparently alluding to exciting things coming up related to the digital pen you know, lineage. And uh, much to their chagrin, I suppose, um, the uh, word of the new digital pen, which would be the new digital version of this camera design, um, got leaked the other day. It's, it's a micro four-thirds design is what it is. And uh, so I'm not sure when the camera is shipping exactly. And again, I'm sure Olympus is very upset that the uh, cover got taken off it already. But uh, but that's kind of one of their tie-ins with its 50-year history is that they're moving into the digital realm with that camera, or at least a tribute to it along the way. Very cool. What exactly does the micro four-thirds mean? Is, or is that just like what they call it? It's the it's there's a there's a standard uh, for that across uh, several manufacturers. It's a specific um, sensor size, decent size, you know, bigger than typically you find in a point and shoot, um, but smaller than the full frame or even the sort of crop sensor you get in the Canons. So I think I think it's actually half size. So any any lens you put on a four thirds camera is, you know, half the uh, the focal length and what you expect it to be, I guess. And then also in the news, Nikon, uh, their versions of the, the new Mini TT1 and Flex TT5 Pocket Wizards, or at least Pocket Wizards version of the Nikon. Pocket Wizards Nikon version of their... Yay, of, you got it. I got it right. They're slipped to the fall. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Pocket Wizard has slipped the Nikon versions of their, their off-camera flash TTL sending doohickeys uh, to the fall. And uh, which makes me sad because I really, really want to try that out. I've heard we talked about it on the show a while back that there's been some hiccups with the uh, with the Canon version with it disconnecting, not firing flashes or 
or being very inconsistent. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully they'll work all those bugs out, and then we'll get a Nikon version in the fall, and it'll be all good. And Nicole, you're, you're using the bulletproof old, the the not the old one, but the regular yeah. non-TTL version of the Pocket yeah. Wizard. Yeah, right? yeah, that, just the real simple ones that stick way off the top of your camera and hang from your flashes. Mm-hmm. They work, you know. They're not TTL, but I've you know. I'm used to not shooting TTL with off-camera flash, but I would really like to try TTL with off-camera flash. It really, you know, reading through some of the that Joe McNally book, The Hot Shoe Diaries, you know, really, really kind of inspires you. To, it's a beautiful really, thing. Yeah, you'd be connected with your model a little bit more because you have everything kind of working for you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Joe McNally cost me several hundred dollars <laughs> in, in Nikon strobes <laughs> and other gear. Uh, yeah, definitely. I definitely want to try that out. I don't know. I think the the main thing about using the Pocket Wizards would be that I want to try at least is just just doing things where I can light uh, objects or people from extreme distances. Like you know, like put a, put a model or a couple on the Golden Gate Bridge and stand in Golden Gate Park and shoot them. You know, and light them from there or something. You know, something interesting like that. So, mm-hmm. which apparently you can do with these things if they come out and if they work as advertised. So we'll see. Now, what's the what's the range on the Pocket Wizard now, or the, the current Pocket Wizards, Nicole? Oh, I don't even know. I, I haven't gotten that far apart from. <laughs> I haven't done anything that distance, so I haven't tested it. But I'm, I don't know. Like, what, what kind of stuff do you normally shoot? Is it just just the wireless PC cable yeah, for you right now? Yeah, pretty much. I'll use it. You know, if, if I'm going to do stuff in my studio, or you know, and I'll just attach it to my Alien Bees, or if I'm just going to do things, I'm pretty close. You know, with within like ten yards of the model. You know, I'm not very far away, so. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just it's a distance where you'd be it'd be cumbersome to have a cord connected, you know, so it makes it easy just to have it all wireless. Yeah, yeah. And your experience has been they've been pretty bulletproof. They just fire every time. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you have to just make sure that they have fresh batteries, or you know, that's that you can change them if they stop firing. And yeah, they're pretty good. Just you know, if you have speed lights, they they tend to fire a little bit faster. If you have depends on your speed lights too and that's the great thing about pocket wizards is you don't have to spend the hundreds of dollars on the the brand name flashes you know you can get the 85 dollar vivitars you know and they work just fine if you're going to do everything in manual mode so yep which is part of the the strobist way of doing things yeah so onto the photo assignment in the current poll aaron mailer you want to take us through the the uh the current assignment and what the poll results from the last week was Sure. We are in week two of our current assignment. What the uh, theme this week is retro, once again, for you to interpret what that means and and to come up with something creative that's appropriate. So uh, we'll know here in a couple of weeks what that turns out to be. Um, as far as the poll results for last week, we had our kind of, as Fred called it, our narcissistic poll here. Um, <laughs> that has your quantity of photos or shooting uh, changed since you became a TWIP listener. And, uh, you know, some interesting results at the moment. Um, I put these in last night, so they may have changed slightly today. But uh, this is the first time I've seen virtually a three-way split um, out of the four possible answers. Uh, 31%, 31%, and 31% on three of the answers. Uh, quick rundown, um, only 7% of those people who have uh, become avid TWIP listeners have uh, decreased the amount of shooting, which, again, we would assume means they're listening to us so often that they don't have time to go out and shoot. Um, beyond that, uh, people saying that they are taking the same quantity as before, uh, shooting a little bit more or shooting considerably more is what breaks down as exactly 31% each. So a uh, very even division at the moment across uh, across those options. We'll leave this poll up for another week, too. 
So uh, we'll we'll come back in next week and see if that still holds true. And if you haven't taken the poll, head out to twiplog.com and uh, give it a shot, and we'll see if these numbers will shift a little more in a week. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Aaron. Sure. And this week's guest is, uh, you know, we're shaking it up again and having another another photography podcaster on as a guest on this photography podcast. This one is, <clears throat> excuse me, his name is Abarian X Perillo. He is the guy behind the Candid Frame podcast, which is an excellent podcast. He has some pretty pretty stellar guests on there, um, top top line photographers from all genres of photography. And he goes in-depth with them on uh, just how they got started, their technique. Uh, he doesn't really go into their gear that much. It's just more of, you know, it's about the photographer themselves. And he tries to get into the mind of them. And he's a he's an excellent interviewer. Kind of comes off as more of a uh, inside the photographer studio kind of podcast. So uh, that's it. Abarian X Perillo. I'm here with Abarian X Perillo. He's a... He's kind of an influential guy in the uh, podcasting industry. In fact, he he indirectly is the one of the reasons why I'm podcasting. So I, I was joking with him before we hit record that he you know, everything I do is his fault. So <laughs> Brian is he's also a photographer and he has a, a a pedigree that goes back very far in terms of knowing what he's talking about in photography and being connected into the photography universe. He has a podcast called uh, Candid Frame and another new one that he's going to talk about that it's, uh, that's kind of a tutorial podcast so he's going to take us through. But I uh, just want to take a quick second to welcome him to This Week in Photography. Hi, Barry. Thanks. Yeah, hi, man. It's, it's, it's good to be on the show, though. You're making me feel a lot older than I actually am. <laughs> well, you know, why is that? Because of your experience? I guess so. Well, you know. I've been around a while. I know that, but. Well, stop, you know. stop doing stuff, and, you know, the, the <laughs> intros will get shorter. <laughs> That's cool. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. I, I appreciate it. Like I said, I've been, I've been a big fan of your podcast for a long time, before even TWIP. So, uh, you know, this is an honor for me to be interviewing you. No, thank you, man. I really, I'm a fan of the show, so. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So let's just start from the beginning, you know, for people that may have not have heard of The Candid Frame or you. So talk a little bit about how you cut your teeth and how you got bitten by the photography bug. And then we'll maybe jump into uh, your podcasts. Yeah, well, I was I was about eight years old when um, I was attending the Boys Club of Hollywood down here in Los Angeles. And one of the counselors there was a uh, shutterbug himself and he renovated a dark room and um Brought some people in to teach the kids how to process film and make prints. And, you know, once I made that first print, it was like game over, mm. you know. So after a while, everyone else started lost interest, and I'd be the only one. So I'd go in there with these old, you know, German cameras from the 50s and 60s, yeah. load Triax film or whatever was available, go and shoot around the club or in Hollywood and just spend hours and hours just processing film and cutting my teeth on, on photography. So I take it the, the, the price was no object. You had access to film and chemicals and all that and you didn't have to pay for it yeah yeah and you know i never even thought about it i always thought i always thought it was free yeah you know it was just there for me to use but he i, I think he was just like he saw my enthusiasm about it you know about it and he just made this stuff available to me so um and from then on you know i kind of pursued it more as a hobby through you know, most of my, uh, uh, you know, K through 12 education. And then in college, I was at LACC kind of meandering from class to class. And I ended up on the school newspaper. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of discovered that 
I could write and I could take pictures and I could tell stories and I could have an impact, you know, on people's lives. And it was like, wow, you know, this, it was one of the most important moments of my life being on that paper because it was the first time I discovered that I could not, not only do something well, but um, be recognized for something that I was doing. Yeah. You know, to an extent that I never had before. And then from then on, it was like I, I, I was very lucky that every job I had after that uh, was somehow photo-related. Mm-hmm. Not, be, not because of any grand plan I had, but just because it just, it's just the way that it worked out. Yeah. So after college, I worked for Nikon for about, I think, almost eight, seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. And then I left there, and I started working for Warner Publishing and was associate editor for outdoor photographer, PC Photo Magazine and Digital Photo Pro, and then I left there about three years ago to start my own thing. At first, primarily freelancing as a as a writer, but eventually as a photographer. And I started a multimedia company up in San Fernando with some friends of mine, producing video and photography for uh, a variety of businesses and nonprofits here in, in SoCal. Very cool. So uh, on the Nikon thing, you know, having personally having worked at companies like Apple Computer, now just Apple and Adobe, you know, looking behind the scenes at things like software that that these companies are are putting together, you get a different perspective on mm-hmm. on the software or in a, in your case the hardware. Uh, did you get that when you were at Nikon? Did you did you get a different perspective of the gear, or was it like, oh wow, we're we're creating the world's best cameras, and you know, I must have one? Well, I definitely drank the Kool Aid while I was working there, you know. So that was a big, big part of it. But you know, having the chance to go out and use it mm-hmm. really kind of affirmed how good of a product it actually was. Um, now I shoot with everything. I shoot with Canon. I shoot with Olympus. But you know, I have I still have an affinity for 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 Nikon because you know while there. Um, I was with other photographers shooting stuff, and we would really be challenging the equipment as much as that we as we could. I mean, as soon as a new camera or a new glass came in, you know, I was one of the first ones to go in the locker and go, "Okay, I got it for the weekend," <laughs> you know, and really put it through its paces because you know I knew that I was going to field a lot of calls from people asking questions about the product, yep. and I felt that you know I was better served, um, and they were better served if I actually had the chance to go out there and use it. Yeah. You know, and and make you know, and shoot slide film, or go out and make prints, and say, you know, I've used these, I've used these lenses, I've used these cameras, I know what they can do, and it makes it a lot easier than when people are saying that they're having problems. It's almost immediately that I understand exactly what's happening and and how to resolve it. So yeah. So then, fast forward to now. So there's this this great podcast out there called The Candid Frame that you that you operate. Um, why did you start that? Well, I was at the at the magazines, and I was um, enjoying writing profiles about photographers. But because of the nature of magazines, there's only so much space that you can, you know, dedicate to doing a profile on a photographer. Mm-hmm. And there were people who I I really enjoyed their work, but were never going to be appropriate for the magazine. And so when I started listening to these podcasts like uh, Tips from the Top Floor and and a lot of these other shows, I enjoyed them, but so much of it was focused on equipment and gear and process. And I was like, man, I want to I want to hear about from photographers about why they shoot. And I said, why someone why doesn't someone go out and create that show? Yeah. And I was like, well, I know how to interview people. I know photographers. And a friend of mine just taught me how to use GarageBand, and I figured out how to, re- you know, record conversations using Skype and all that other stuff. And 
you know, once I got rolling, it just didn't stop. And it just became an excuse for me to talk to people who I've always wanted to have the chance to talk to. Yeah. So here, here's a question that, that's come in over Twitter, because I, I Twittered out earlier that uh, you were, I was going to be interviewing you tonight. And John M. says he wants to know what percentage of time do you spend on your own images versus viewing, commenting, and learning from others? Oh, man, not enough. <laughs> not enough. I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, you know, probably right now, if I get, a, if I get half a day worth of shooting time now, it's, it's good. You know, oh, working as a, a, I'm in my own business and doing all the different things I'm doing, you know, with teaching and with the podcasting and with the multimedia and all this other stuff, I'm pretty much trying to run a business and maintain a business and I don't have that much opportunity to go out and, and shoot. Um, I'm always trying to book business where I am uh, working as a photographer, but the bulk of the time is trying to make those gigs happen. Yeah. So I don't often get to shoot as much as I, as I would like. So what, what percentage of, just to, just to expand on John M's question, what percentage of a Barian X is businessman versus photographer? Oh God! It depends on the size of the paycheck. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. You know, I I I think it's more and more becoming businessman, being salesman, being marketing. I was always I I, I think you know a couple of years ago I would have told you that's ninety percent photographer and ten percent business. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had the benefit of a job, and my own time was time dedicated to just to my own work. Yeah. But now that I'm dependent on, you know, my own will to be able to make a living and earn money and do all this other stuff, mm-hmm. it gets skewed. Yeah. So it, it you really you know, the time that you have to actually dedicate to making images just for my own, you know, for my own soul um, is real precious to me. So whenever I have a chance to do it, man, it's 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 a real blessing. Yeah, and I can imagine the the magnifying <coughs> glass of a down economy uh, exacerbates that a little bit more, right? Man, I just I hate cold calling, but I'm finding I'm going to do it a lot more often than I than I would have cared to. Yeah, but but it's you know it's it's part of the process. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, still so continuing on this candid frame. Uh, sort of tangent here the some of the guests that you have on that show are just outstanding and and i would encourage any of the twip listeners that are listening to this to check out some of the past and current uh uh, episodes of your podcast because they're just some 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 of the top names in photography so of those i'm gonna put you on the spot right now and answer this however you want who's your favorite guest so far oh that's easy it's joe meyerowitz ah oh because <clears throat> he talks and gems just fall out of his mouth. Mm. You know, it, there are a lot of photographers out there that do amazing work, you know, and, and but there are very few photographers who can speak to what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it. Yeah. You know, and he gives you so much insight into what it means to be an artist and a photographer because he's, he thinks about this and has thought about this for 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I sit down with him and, you know, I don't even have to ask questions. You know, it, it was just, it was a joy to, to, to speak with him. And, and I got to visit him when I, he was in New York. And it was just me and him, no recorder, just talking. And it was just, you know, it really speaks to why I do all the things I do in terms of photography. And he really speaks to that. Yeah. And whenever you're having a chance to, to speak to someone 
who's that insightful about their own process, their own work, and why we all do it, you know, it's just a worthwhile conversation. So that's that's the the benchmark by which I measure everything. And some of them come come really close, but I, you know, without a doubt, I think his his conversation was easily the best that I've had so far. Yeah, and what I was going to ask you is one of one of my own personal <clears throat> photographic heroes or photographer heroes is Greg Gorman. Oh yeah, I've been following his work forever, and I had a chance to meet him, you know, a couple times. And uh, you know, I I think he remembers who I am, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, he's, his work is just outstanding in terms of the the nudes that he does, just black and white celebrities, all the stuff is just amazing. So how how was it talking to Greg? Oh, he was a class act. You know, I got to go over to his house and slash studio, and you know, he was. It was re- it was a really good conversation. I think part of what happens is that because of the approach that I, that I come with when I interview people, and I'm not talking about equipment, and I'm not talking about what, what lenses you use, mm-hmm. that I kind of people are caught a little off guard by the conversation. Yeah, you know, and once they realize what it's not going to be, they end up relaxing and enjoying the conversation so much more. All of a sudden, it doesn't become an interview. You know, it's us dialoguing. It's more personal, you know? right? Oh yeah, and then and with Greg, he was a perfect example of of how I feel I've hit my stride in terms of how I interview people. Yeah, you know, in terms of okay, this is two people who share the same patch, passion, just just you know, um, just connecting. Yeah, just you know, just, just riffing crazy. off each other. Yeah, and just and and you know, and everyone who listens to the show gets the benefit of it. So, you know, I'm doing it for selfish reasons because I want to talk to this guy as much as anybody else. Yeah. You know, well, that, that's why I do Twip because it's you know I just want to talk about photography. So that's great. Mm-hmm. So what what about uh, you know the you know I don't want to get into equipment and and all that sort of stuff, but if you could you know before we get into the next podcast that or the the other the newer podcast that you're working on. You know, what is just sort of your, your mindset behind getting your show together and saying, okay, now uh, it's my listeners want to hear from this guy, and then what? You know, I'm, to be quite honest, I'm not really thinking about who my listeners would be interested in. I'm kind of like looking around and going, who excites me? Mm-hmm. You know, whose work am I just really thrilled about seeing that I, I want to ask them questions about it? And and I think the biggest thing is that I'm always thinking about is I'm trying to always think about people other than the usual suspects, yeah. you know, because there are names like the people I've interviewed, like Greg Gorman and you know Joe Marowitz and, mm-hmm. and and Douglas Kirkland, who you know people know and they've seen them in the magazines. But I'm always eyeing those photographers that people have never really heard of, yeah. you know, but whose work is is amazing and and are making choices that allows them to sort of live their passion for photography and not be just sort of a weekend shooter. I think the the, the show, if, if anything, it's it's there to serve as an inspiration for people to pursue their dreams, you know, to make the kind of choices that allow them to be really happy about their creative life and not be frustrated by it. Yeah. Well, uh, here's another question off of Twitter for you. Um, another listener wants to know, actually, this is John M. again. He says, uh, How's the new podcast doing? He says he's just downloaded it to his iPod, but he hasn't watched it yet, which is a good segue because I wanted to ask you about the new podcast. Well, that started off because I saw that there was there was a lot of podcasts on photography, but again, um, I didn't think it was really particularly interesting. It either was you know screen grab stuff, or if if the stuff didn't involve you know video, 
on location, there wasn't really high production value. So I said, you know, I'd like to do a podcast that's more instructional, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be standing there in front of a camera going, this is a 50 millimeter lens. This is an F-stop. You know, yeah. I just didn't interest me. But part of my company with Alas Media, we're about storytelling. So after we did like a first test and we posted it up there, that was more in line with the instructional stuff. But I said, look, we're, we're about telling stories. So let's focus on, say, an interesting personality. Let's go out and have you shoot me photographing them. And then I'll focus on one sort of concept or principle about photography. You know, so, you know, for, we did one in Santa Anita and that one was about, you know, shooting cinematically, you know, shooting with a wide angle shot, a medium and a telephoto, yeah. you know, and just having one sort of insight that people could take away photographically, but more importantly, that they would see and hear an interesting story about an interesting character. Yeah. So regardless of whether or not you were interested in photography, you'd be interested in watching it. And and so far, we've been really happy with it. It's it's a work in progress. So you'll see with each episode, it sort of changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still trying to get a feel for it. But um, I'm real pleased with it. Um, we're trying to build an audience, you know, for it. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that once people get turned on to it and see what we're trying to do, um, that it'll be really, really successful. Well, what, what's the name of it and where can people find it? Uh, it's called Shooting with Alas, and Alas is A-L-A-S, uh, so shootingwithalas.com, and they can find uh, uh, the first three episodes up there. Okay, and can they, is that available on iTunes as well? Yep, yep, they can subscribe to iTunes, or if they go through Shooting with Alas website, they can just stream it right off the, right off the blog page. Excellent. Well, X, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to let me pepper you with questions where, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you or subscribe to the other stuff that you're doing um well i suggest they go to the candidframe.com and download uh, an episode there go through itunes and subscribe and then if they want to find out just more about my own work uh, i have a website at ebodionex.com excellent thanks again i appreciate it all right man take care so that was Abari Next Perillo of The Candid Frame. Uh, so be sure to check him out. We'll put a link to his show in the show notes. And uh, be sure to give his show a listen. But don't unsubscribe from TWIP, whatever you do. <laughs> so let's move on to the listener questions. There's a, there's a ton of questions that we, uh, we, we get in every week. We only have time to answer a couple of them. But we will endeavor to get to as many as we can. The first one up is uh, assigned to me, and it's uh, from a listener by the name of Mark Dewins. He says he's about to deploy in the Air Force and would like recommendations on camera cases and other useful bits, uh, that sort of thing. So my my main recommendation would be for camera cases, um, there's two. So camera bags overall. So once you once you when you get to your location or getting to your location is one thing. You know, depending on how you're deploying and what your job is there. But getting there, I typically rely on Pelican cases for if I want to carry stuff around. And I want it bulletproof and I want it waterproof. Or not necessarily bulletproof, but uh, but <laughs> waterproof and just, you know, able to withstand the elements. Uh, Pelican cases, you can't go wrong. They're kind of the industry standard in visual arts for both videographers, photographers around for getting your gear, whether it's lighting, camera, lenses from point A to point B securely as possible. Um, But once you get there, uh, 
I, you know, it, it depends on where you are and the kind of thing that you or the kind of protection that you need. But what I used throughout my time, throughout my eight years in the Air Force, uh, we had low pro bags and used them for everything. In fact, I still have one of them from many, many years ago, uh, two decades ago, actually. Um, I still have the same low pro bag. It's a blue one that's sitting in a closet, of course, but it's perfectly good. It's dirty, but it, it works. And uh, I carried that thing around everywhere I went. And it was the perfect bag for me back then. Now, of course, Low Pro has come out with a lot of different innovations in bag technology and ways to camera, carry your, your gear around since then. But, you know, the, the fundamentals of carrying your gear around are I need to have all the stuff that I need to have with me for this particular job at easy access. I need it protected in case it rains or in case, what, you know, dust storms or whatever. And I need to be able to flip it open to pull out a lens and change it really quickly. And they, they do that really well. Now, there's a ton of other bags on the market, of course. I'm just saying this is the one that, uh, that I've used and have been had good luck with over the past several years. And then the other things are, you know, just the normal things to have in your bag are you want to have your lens cloths, of course. You want to have your, your sensing cl- sensor cleaning gear uh, and know how to clean your sensor, you know, so you don't destroy your camera while you're in the field and just that sort of stuff. So there's a, a you know, it's kind of hard to go into all the little tidbits that you might want to bring with you in, in a question, but, you know, just make sure that you have enough stuff to protect your gear and you have the proper bag and the proper transport from point A to point B, i.e. on the aircraft. Now, Nicole, you we, we did a video on my blog of you a while back, and you were kind of going through the things that are in your bag. you want to maybe chime in a little bit and give your recommendations? Oh, like, well, I would – well, let's see. I would say, you know, because he's in the Air Force, um, it all kind of depends on how much he can bring. You know, because I was in the Navy for a while, mm-hmm. and I know depending on your deployment, uh, you, you – only have either say I've had times where I can only take 30 pounds of gear, you know, total because we're on tiny little planes and going from point A to point B. So you might, if you're limited, then you know you really need to think through what you want to bring with you and only bring the basic necessities like maybe one or two lenses, tops, and you know all the little cleaning things. Of course, you always want to have those with you, yeah. um, CF cards and whatever. But if you know if, if you don't have a limit, you know, get a, you know, get whatever camera bag you want that's big enough and fit it, all your stuff in there and take it all. That's probably that's what I would say. <laughs> You know, yeah. so. Yeah, very cool. All right, this next question is assigned to Mr. Ron Brinkman. You want to take that one away? Sure. <laughs> You're looking for the question, aren't you? <laughs> You're like, I oh, I was reading the blog on WWDC. <laughs> yes, do you know what they just announced over on? <laughs> this is real time. He's asking oh, about yeah. the one on Patton, Patton and Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm there. I'm, I'm on top of this. Don't worry. <laughs> Well, this one's a little hard to describe. I mean, I'll I'll read the question Uh, on the show. You spend a lot of time discussing photographers' rights, but I recently happened upon another legal topic important to photographers. Apparently, a patent was issued that protects the process of taking pictures of a sporting event, like a running race, and then putting them online, searchable by jersey number, and selling them. Uh, This is troubling because it doesn't really allow the inventor to benefit from innovation in so much as it makes him rich from a process that I'd consider obvious. And, you know, I don't, I mean, I haven't read the details of this particular patent, but I'll happily go off on uh, a bit of a rant about how (laughs) completely broken our patent system is these days. You know, it's, it's, I mean, these process, yeah, these process patents are just kind of crazy to me. And I understand the the reasoning behind some of them, but I think they're really being abused. And and, uh, for something like this, 
I agree. You know, this is something that's a pretty obvious solution, and and you know, the patent office has decided to, or more specifically, the number of lawyers that whatever company that patented this uh, threw it at the patent office in a form where it was easier to approve it than not, because I've seen how these things work. And um, you know, net net for a photographer shooting this kind of stuff, I doubt it's going to be an issue anytime soon. That you know, you have to be careful about not categorizing the photos you take by jersey number. But, you know, I, I, it just points to the, the fact that the, the patent system is kind of messed up. And I'm hoping that enough of these ridiculous ones start getting noticed by people that something happens. That's the end of the rant? It <laughs> <laughs> no, wasn't really a rant. Come on. <laughs> you can do better than that. You want me to, you want me to pound the desk? You're, you're, this you're... is stupid. <laughs> Ridiculous. You know, speaking of rants, speaking of rants, this is completely not photography related. But if you haven't checked out Leo Laporte's rant on, uh, <laughs> did you see that last this weekend? Uh, it was yeah. day before yesterday. He uh, he went off on uh, Michael. Who, who did he go off on? Mike Arrington. Mike Arrington. Yeah, from TechCrunch. It's all over the web. You, you really have to do it justice. You really have to see some of the follow-up. They did a show a couple hours later and talked it through, and it's all fine, and everybody's happy with each other, you know, and it's it's all fine, but it was rather uh, amusing to see it at the time. That's all okay, right. question. I'll move on here. Go for uh, it. Our listener in this case is uh, Shane, and I'm... I'm- I'm going to say Gello, Jello, G-E-L-O. I hope it's I hope it's Gello. Otherwise, it's Shane Jello. Um, his question is about underexposed flash images in uh, in aperture priority mode. Um, he's using a CA. He said, I believe a Canon. No, not a Canon. I believe he's using a Nikon D40. I may not have put that in the question here, but um, he typically shoots in aperture priority mode with manual settings for his ISO and uh, uses his flash. The shutter speed's locked at 1 60th of a second, which is correct. And from what he understands, that that is uh, generally all that needs to be done, but he's finding that um, he's frequently getting, I don't know how frequently, but getting underexposed shots periodically. But if he switches to fully automatic mode and repeats the shot, he gets a a very good, nice balance shot. Um, There's a couple things that could be going on there. Um, Again, with a particular system he's using, the SP600, I believe, and the the Nikon D40, uh, he's got all of the full, you know, TTL capabilities there. So what's actually happening is your camera is doing a, a pre-flash, measuring the scene, and then firing the full flash for the uh, for the actual exposure itself. Um, and in an aperture priority mode, there may be situations where either that's being misjudged, or you just may not be able with a locked uh, aperture at that point to achieve the kind of light you need from the flash, which could explain the underexposed shot. Um, what I want to point out, though, is this from a learning standpoint here. Uh, as you've already said, you can switch into uh, to a program or, or automatic mode and repeat the shot and get a very good one. So I would use your EXIF data to your advantage here as a learning process. I mean, because you're, you're obviously getting instant feedback in your camera because you're looking at the screen and seeing it's underexposed and then repeating it in automatic mode. Um, go ahead and continue doing that. But when you bring those shots into Lightroom or Aperture or whatever your application is that you're, you're using them in, compare the two shots, the one from your Aperture Priority and the other, and, and look at the exposure settings and see what the camera chose in its automatic mode and how it compares and differs uh, from what the settings were in your aperture priority mode and that may give you some insight into what's happening there essentially or you know in that particular scenario was something else changing that made that shot possible that wasn't going to be a possible you know in aperture priority mode like anybody else have any input that, on that yeah um, mm-hmm. Another thing, if he's using an external flash, you really want to make sure that you're checking the settings in the flash, too. Because when you have flash plus camera, you have a lot of different variables going on. And if that flash is stuck in manual, 
moment. There might be absolutely nothing wrong with the settings, you know, within the camera, but the flash, maybe it's like pumped all the way, you know, really, really like it, you know, really, really low power. And so then the camera, of course, is overriding that and maybe bumping up the ISO when it goes into program mode. And you just don't realize that, you know, just by looking at sometimes at something, you can kind of say, oh, there's enough light for me to use a flash, but if the flash isn't producing enough power, then it could really be confusing. So make sure, you you know, they want to pump that into either TTL, ITTL, whatever, you know, or if they know what a good setting on their flash should be to, you know, give it enough power so that way they can, you know, get a decent exposure. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I think the last question we have in here that we're going to go with is assigned to you, Ron. It's uh, the listener, Dave Henry, wants has some questions about Aperture on a MacBook. You want to take that one? Sure. Uh, although if we were doing a live show, it would be really fun to announce right now that they just announced the iPhone 3GS. <laughs> Look at that. Even though they, they announced it yesterday, because by the time this gets out, it will have been yesterday. <laughs> yes, right. but I just happened to notice that as I was paying full attention to the show, of course. <laughs> I have to live in the moment. Also, announcement over on my other computer. You, you could have made that your pick of the week, I'm just saying. It is. We haven't done picks yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go for it. Uh, Dave's question is, <laughs> I've been trying to get my in-laws to switch over to a Mac about five years now. My mother-in-law's hobbyist wildlife photographer, and I'm always sure to show off all the tools and aperture every time they come for a visit. Their old bio finally quit on them, and I talked them into a $999 MacBook. I told them to get it at the Apple Store, not at a big box store. So they went to the Apple Store to get it, and the Apple Genius told them that the MacBook wouldn't run aperture. What the hell? <laughs> Genius um, actually sounded kind of sarcastic in the context. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I mean, it does. I have it. I, I have a MacBook sitting in front of me right now, and I use uh, Aperture on it quite a bit. I, you know, it, it, I have a Mac Pro at home, and obviously it's a bit snappier when it comes to that. But, yeah, it, it does work on – it works fine on uh, on the MacBook, uh, as does Lightroom. And, uh, you know, these days I don't think there's too many applications that require – uh, the, the horsepower on even these small laptops is is pretty good for most of this, but yeah, you know, the, the good news is uh, they just also announced a price decrease on MacBooks, so uh, you know they could return that uh, return whatever they bought and go get a MacBook for even less money now. Wow, there you go. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about my pick because my pick is directly related to this. So we'll uh, we'll move on to the picks of the week. How's that? <laughs> All right, this week's uh, pick of the week from Aaron Mailer is something that's really, really photography-related. And uh, <laughs> Aaron? Fred and I argued about this. What, what is your pick, and how does it directly relate to photographers? Uh, don't make me reference your past pick that justified this. <laughs> anyway, um, my pick this week does sound like I'm, I'm kind of scraping the barrel here, but there's some reasoning behind it, I uh-huh. guess. Um, <laughs> um, my pick this week is actually my mouse, believe it or not. Um, I know that sounds absurd, but hey, it's, it's at least cross-platform, so all you Windows and Mac users out there could be equally happy with this. Um, in all truth, uh, you have to admit that use of your computer and, and your editing side of your photography process is 50% or more of the entire digital photography scene. So, you know, to me, ergonomics, uh, you know, and, and good operating hardware are, are 
key, you know, beyond just my camera. It extends all the way to my desktop where I'm going to spend probably more time on that photograph than I did with the camera itself. So uh, the mouse that I use is the Logitech MX Revolution, and I just bring it up because it's about the best mouse I've ever used. Um, I've actually bought a second one at this point. Um, it's a little bit pricey, though. I did grab a second one because um, last week at Best Buy they were at half price for some reason. I don't know if that's still the case. It was about $49 there at the time. But uh, for, for me personally, this mouse just fits my hand beautifully. Um, I, it's very, very high resolution. Uh, it tracks very nicely. It's just been a, a fantastic experience. And when you're doing a lot of photo editing, that really does make a difference. Plus, it has some pretty unique controls on it, including some thumb controls, which on a Macintosh, anyway, I can assign to all kinds of different actions uh, in various applications for you know, for moving things around very quickly so that my navigation is very fast between the applications and in dragging and dropping photos and moving them about. So, uh, so yes, it's not maybe directly photo-related. Yeah, I was just giving you a mess about it. But, but, <laughs> Are, are, have you have you used a Wacom tablet at all? Or are you more of a mouse yeah. user? Uh, no, I actually use both. Um, right under my monitor here is uh, is one of the uh, third generation Intuos uh, Wacom tablets as well. So, you know, I do use a combination of the two. Um, but you know, I spend more time on my mouse obviously than I do my tablet. Um, and the tablet I tend to pull out when I'm starting to do you know uh, airbrushing and, and very specific photo editing uh, in Photoshop and, and sometimes with the uh, with the various tools that are in Lightroom itself. But uh, you know, 99.9% of the time, your hand's on your mouse doing whatever, and, you know, it really pays if that uh, works very well for you. And if anybody's in the market for a mouse right now, I couldn't recommend the MX Revolution, you know, more. Cool. Nicole Z, what is your pick of the week? Nicole? Oh, sorry. You <laughs> broke out there for a second. I didn't hear you. All I heard was Olsey. Oh. So. oh, I said Nicole Z. <laughs> Where, Skype is really giving us issues today. Um, All right. Lots of traffic. So, well, no, what's, what's your pick of the week? My pick is a technique, and it's uh, dragging the shutter. It's something you can do it with point-and-shoots. You can do it with your DSLR. You usually want to have a flash, but there are ways around not using a flash. But I typically will set my uh, shutter speed kind of low at maybe 1 15th or 1 30th of a second, use my flash. You kind of want it to be dark, you know, and then just kind of twist the camera around. You get some really cool effects. It's just kind of a fun party trick. I like to... <laughs> Dude, very cool. Now, do you do that? You do that with your SLR, or do you do it with a? With I do, point I've done it with both, and um, but you know, it's. I don't like to, when I take my point and shoot out. I don't like just the flat, harsh, straight on flash. You know, it's just boring pictures, um, in my opinion. You know, it can't. It, sometimes, if you're darling, you're just trying to catch a funny face or whatever. But uh, you know, I, I will usually switch it into my little mode, play around with it, get a good setting, and then you know, take a bunch of pictures like that. It, it just gives it a little bit more edge to the photo instead of just a straight-on flash photo. Excellent, cool. Yeah. And uh, Ron Brinkman, what is your uh, what's your pick? <laughs> well, I may as well go ahead and and pick the uh, the new <laughs> well, camera. I knew it. Three megapixel <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> the iPhone. <laughs> uh, we we may as well talk about it because uh-huh. uh, they they just just put it out there and uh, it's certainly you know the the original iPhone the current iPhone I have obviously the camera was um, less than stellar shall we say and uh, you know a, a new camera or a new phone a new camera on that phone is enough to get me to upgrade just just there it's three megapixels so it's not anything huge um, they claim that it's got uh, improved light sensitivity which is obviously a, a nice thing. Um, it does shoot video as well, VGA video, so standard def video resolution at 30 frames a second. Um, it, 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 they've done some neat stuff, it looks like, with uh, the 
using the touch screen to let you choose your focus point and your white balance point. So you, you, know, you can frame your shot and then touch a particular uh, area in the screen and it will choose to focus on that because the, the camera now does have an autofocus. Uh, and it also focuses close, down to 10 centimeters, I think they say. Uh, with an, it includes a, a dedicated mode. But for me, actually, the, probably the most interesting part about all this is uh, they say that all of these features are available through the API as well. So you know, I'm really hoping that we're starting to see, uh, now that you have a, a lens that you can focus and, and have some exposure control, potentially, uh, we may see some really interesting apps that let you do some of that more kind of computational photography that I think is is sort of the future of all this. Yeah. Excellent. That 10 centimeters is your barcode shooting right there, too. Yes, exactly. And that, that was a big a big problem with the iPhone relative uh, to, like, the, the Android phone was, you know, the, the iPhone just couldn't close focus enough to really read a barcode. So it opens up for a lot of stuff there, too. It's cool. funny you mention that because I was just with somebody who had an Android, and we did an iPhone versus an Android barcode <laughs> comparison, and it's, like, way better on the Android. And, and yeah. now I want to upgrade my iPhone that I just got, but... Yeah, I know you. You were you were on the fence about getting an iPhone for like a year before you. I was. I wasn't really. I've always. I've wanted one for a really long time. I was just. You know. I, I just was trying to be smart about it, and you know, not buy one impulsively. And I got. I, I got it, and I treated myself. So <laughs> I'm happy I did, and then I don't regret not waiting. So there you go. <laughs> All right, my pick of the week is also Mac related because it's a Mac day. It's a it's an Apple <laughs> Apple News Day. Uh, they also announced some uh, upgraded MacBook Pro hardware, uh, and that is my pick, the MacBook Pros, because the one that I have, I have the I guess now it was up until a minute ago, <laughs> the latest generation, uh, but the one that I have has been a rock solid workhorse in terms of being able to edit my my photography in the field. I use Lightroom on it. And I used Aperture on it when I was at the Aperture workshop, but typically I use Lightroom on it and I edit all my photos there and I uh, create uh, a, a, a library specifically for a specific shoot that I'm on if I'm traveling and then import that into my main library when I get home. But, you know, I haven't had any no no issues aside from having a 15 inch display uh, from using the software and managing my library and doing all my sort of normal photo retouching, keywording, all that stuff portably, and then bringing everything back into my, my main library on my desktop machine. But it, uh, it, it works flawlessly. I love this machine. And now the new ones are out with more horsepower and more of everything. I'm not sure what the specs are because it just came out literally like 30 minutes ago. But uh, that would be my pick of the week is to, if you're considering buying or upgrading your machine, uh, you've waited long enough. And now you have at least, what, another 18 months or so before you have to worry about being uh, like me and having outdated hardware. <laughs> so that is my pick of the week. So coming up next week on This Week in Photography, I think we're going to be back live and in living color at the Twip, Twit, T-W-I-T, Twit Cottage uh, in, uh, in Leo's lair shooting video for this thing and recording the audio, making it available through the podcast stream as well. So keep your eye out for that. We've been getting lots of questions on uh, archives of that, of that video show. And yes, that is going to happen. We are working on the logistics of how, how all that stuff is going to happen. And if, if this week in photography is actually going to appear in Leo's normal repeat show feed and all that stuff. So all that stuff's getting ironed out right now, but in the interim, if you're interested next week at 11 a.m., 
Monday, we will be recording This Week in Photography live on video. So watch either my... Pacific. my Yeah, Pacific, sorry. Uh, watch either my, uh, Aaron, Alex, Steve, whoever, you know, watch our Twitter feeds and you will see when, uh, you know, what the link is. What the, What is that link anyway? Is it just live.twit.tv? Yeah, live.twit.tv. Yeah, that's what we'll be. So put that on your calendar. I'm sure my cat will show up again too. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a little, a little cat cameo. <laughs> All right, that's it for another episode of This Week in Photography. Where can, uh, where can people find you, Mr. Ron Brinkman? Uh, my blog is digitalcomposting.com. I just put up a post yesterday with some macro photography of some big bumblebees I came across the other day, uh, but really kind of making the point that those little uh, point-and-shoots have a really nice macro capability to their sort of small sensor, small lens combination. Yeah. And you can find me on the Twitters as Ron Brinkman. Excellent. And Nicole Young, where can people find you? Twitter is probably the best place to find me. I update, you know, I do have a blog, um, but on, on Twitter I'm Nicolesy, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. I have a blog, NicolesyBlog.com. I'm kind of slow, slow to update it, but when I do, I Twitter it. So Very cool. So Twitter. And Mr. Mr. Aaron Mailer, where's, uh, where's your home online? Uh, my blog is halfpress.com, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S.com, and it's uh, also very slow to update, so you will find the most uh, content from me on Twitter also is halfpress. Excellent. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on Twitter as well under the name Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs>